electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod, billionaire David Tepper has made a splash in the NFL. Every last billionaire, when you look at the history of sports, when they come into an industry, they always try to make their mark. David Tepper's trying to do it his way. How that conversation led to two of the best known and most successful hedge fund managers in the business weighing in on the markets. All right, so Miller and Tepper are both following the momentum on this and think that up is where the market is headed at this point. Co-founder of Twitter and CEO of Medium, Ev Williams, has launched a third fund in his venture capital firm. Can I, we can just say he's one of the creators of the modern internet. His comments on impact investing in Silicon Valley. Those stories and so many more, seriously, from Airbnb to Andrew Yang. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. It's Friday, January 17th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. The future of television is coming into focus. Comcast unveiling details of its streaming service called Peacock. Peacock hopes to stand out in a crowded field by offering a free ad-supported service. NBC Universal chairman Steve Burke explained the strategy at the company's presentation yesterday. We think there's a clear opportunity to create a streaming platform that we own and operate, that give people what they want when they want it, but allow us to monetize. We also think we're uniquely positioned to take advantage of this opportunity and play a leadership role in the on-demand streaming world. And that unique positioning comes from all of its content, with more than 600 movies available, including titles from Universal Pictures, DreamWorks, uh, films like E.T. and Jaws. Uh, The more than 400 TV shows include Saturday Night Live, Will and Grace, and The Office. And the pricing is tiered, starting with a free ad-supported option. Or for $10 a month, there will be no ads. Join us now to discuss Peacock uh, in the changing streaming landscape as Tom Rogers, executive chairman of Winview, a former CEO of TiVo, former uh, NBC cable president. He's also a CNBC contributor and um, probably one of the two or three people most responsible for CNBC when, when the industry was facing something similar and that is cable, and you had to navigate through that. So I think well, you- i got to tell you, speaking of 30 years ago when we launched CNBC, I wanted to put the Peacock logo on CNBC, and the Peacock police showed up in my office and said, no freaking way. Not for it long. It isn't going to happen. <laughs> Don't even breathe it. We will have revolution from the broadcast Not affiliates. Not for long. Because then Bill Bolster. Right. Well, that was that it. was a ways down the road. The we had grade. to prove yeah. to the broadcast stations that, that CNBC we wasn't a threat. Yeah. Here you have the, the the network called Peacock, and I got to tell you, uh, it's uh, it is a recreation in some ways of a broadcast network in streaming form, 
and you don't even hear the issue of what about the broadcast affiliates? What are they going to think? What are they going to do? Well, what about the cable operators? That's the other question I have, which is, you know, there's a huge ca- carriage fees still are a big part of the business. And how how are different cable operators take Comcast, obviously, out of it, given that they're the parent going to look at, for example, late night being put on at 8 a.m. or 8 p.m. rather uh, available to anybody on Peacock, but on linear available at 1130. Well, you know, when it comes to the cable operators, including Comcast, they've adopted a very different view about uh, what happens to programming because cord cutting to them actually benefits their core business because they know people still need the broadband part of the cable service because streaming requires high-speed broadband. Cable is where they go for it. The margins on the video business have gotten worse and worse, so they actually improve their margins as people cut the cord. Plus, Peacock, I think, will ultimately be distributed by most of the cable industry. So I think they'll look at this service as actually something that helps them navigate their relationships with broadband subscribers through offering this content service. So so we know who the players are now, right? This is phase one is finished. Everybody's announced. Everybody's in. Now let the games begin. We're going to see what actually happens. Well, I think uh, the the streaming wars are on. Uh, I look at this, uh, I'm surprised at some of the discussion of the the content. To me, this is uh, in large part a a wolf in peacock's clothing, meaning Dick Wolf has put all of the uh, major shows that he has contributed in the uh, police and crime uh, family on here. And uh, I think that uh, that is going to actually be uh, a very substantial part of this. All the talk has been in the streaming wars, who gets what's comedy, who gets, who gets friends, who gets office. Uh, but uh, these uh, one-hour crime dramas actually have a lot of staying power. I can speak in my own household. Yes, my wife, my do. daughter-in-law yes. will watch uh, SVU dun, dun. over and over. Dun, dun. And so there's a, there's a lot of uh, uh, guts to this in terms of uh, that kind of programming as well. Are, are they right to take the embrace and to make the embrace and call it Peacock and be so different than, they, than it was when CNBC was launching? I mean, this is a whole different way. Wall Street looks at it a different way, too. Well, look at Disney. Disney said we're all in on this. And Disney has gotten uh, $50 billion almost of additional market cap by showing it is really all in. Uh, Obviously, Comcast didn't get that kind of pop. Uh, but saying, hey, this is core, this is Peacock, uh, we're putting our, uh, our stuff on this and we're really going to put our shoulder behind it, I think ultimately does get them some reward. I think the shifting of the late night television to earlier in the day is really brilliant. I think that's a way of getting some of the uh, audience that right. would, does not exist for that kind of first-rate programming. But it's also a little scary in terms of what it means for what's supposed to remain of, li- uh, of traditional television, which is supposed to be about live events, uh, fresh daily stuff, sports. Uh, now they're beginning to say, hey, we're not just going to put scripted entertainment programming on Peacock. We're going to put the fresh daily stuff there you, as well. Do you remember when the, the, all, the new, all the affiliates in their 11 o'clock news, when, when, I don't know, whoever was in the lead with late night, it would impact the bottom line of all those local affiliates? And, look, and, and, and it's, it still and does. And so you, it, just in closing, you're not really that bullish 
on the whole streaming business because and, and, it's going to be cutthroat. But you think Comcast has an advantage because anybody who streams needs broadband anyway, right? I mean, which Disney you wouldn't. I mean, you think Disney's got problems in terms of stock price? Uh, well, I think uh, it's. You can say it. I, I think. It's ahead of itself. It's, it's gotten a bit ahead of itself relative to what's been accomplished. Having said that, you can't take anything away from them how no, much early st- okay. subscribers they got on Disney Plus. That, that's a huge thing. Comcast, as a cable company, I think is well hedged. The issue for all the traditional companies is streaming they have to get into. they got to put their shoulder behind it. But the downdraft in the traditional business yeah. is going to be much steeper than I think most investors have priced in. Okay. All right, Tom. Thank you. A 2020 uh, election update, a new Reuters uh, Ipsos uh, national poll finding that Senator Bernie Sanders has been steadily climbing and he is now tied with former Vice President Joe Biden for the Democratic uh, nomination among registered voters. (laughs) Twenty percent of registered Democrats and independents said they would back Sanders over 11 other candidates. That's an increase of two percentage points from a similar poll last week. Now, 19 percent supported Biden. 12% supported Senator Elizabeth Warren, 9% backed former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg, which is... That, that's the other story. Quite some time, the right? other day, did, he's up to 9% without participating would, in any debate. And six said they would support Pete Buttigieg. Um, another 2020 uh, candidate speaking exclusively to CNBC. Here's Andrew Yang speaking with Ardidra Bosa at a fundraiser in San Francisco last night. Stock market, overvalued or undervalued? Overvalued. Big tech, regulate or break up? Um, You can't oversimplify to that extent. You need to actually dig in and solve the problems you're concerned about. Fed Chair Powell's tenure, approve or disapprove? Uh, Somewhere in between, I'd say. Recession in 2020, likely or unlikely? I'd say a slight downturn in 2020 is very likely. What would you do? Uh, I would start putting more economic buying power into people's hands so that we have a trickle-up economy. And when asked about Facebook's political ad policy, Yang said the social network needs to step up and verify the facts and truth of the ads they have on their platform. You know, from the numbers, the the poll that we quoted, 20 percent from Biden, is that down for Biden or has Bernie stepped up significantly? Because when you see, I I wonder if the 9 percent who are now supporting Bloomberg are numbers that came straight from Biden from before. Seeing uh, what has unfortunately become the, the status quo for both parties, and that's during the primaries, whatever extreme positions are in any part of the party, that's where it sort of coalesces. And poor Biden, at this point, has got to go left. And then during the the national election, he's going to have to come back, obviously. But this is rare that you have... He's not... Bernie Sanders is a socialist. He's not a democratic socialist. He's a socialist. So you've got an actual socialist... In the Democratic Party, where everybody else and he's starting to move up, everybody else has to has to move that I'm not way. Sure, Except for the Republican in the party, who's now at nine percent. Right, I'm not sure. <laughs> the about independent, that. Yeah. yeah. Well, but uh, you know, I'm we'll watch sure predict. We'll watch sure. the website. I don't see any movement in in the actual. But I'm not predicted. sure. Even Bi- I'm not even sure Biden has to move. No, he may, he may yeah. stay where he is because it's a it, it is a battle for the soul, soul. of the Democratic right. Party, and it's fifty fifty right now. And there's a lot of it's weird though because the energy is is with the youthful progressive movement, but it's all being thrown onto a seventy eight year old man. So the the energy of so, the young but here's is the question. bizarre. Do you consolidate? I mean, Becky mentioned it yesterday. Do you end up consol- do you end up consolidating the twelve percent that Elizabeth Warren has 
with the Bernie Sanders number? Do you end up consolidating the 9% that Bloomberg, Bloomberg may or may not have with, with right. the 20% or in 19% case, that, in, right? In both cases, you end up with just, just exactly. about 30 It gets very interesting. I think you get a broker convention, and maybe it is. I, I, that's what I begin to think, maybe too. Maybe it is, it's, Mike. Talk about a, it. A broker convention on the first, after the first or second uh, we vote, they're allowed, the, the candidate, the, they're released. They're allowed to vote for whoever they want to, right. and that's when you can see a candidate who's either come from behind or come from nowhere. In Iowa, it's the same four that it's been the entire time. And if you were betting, you could honestly, if you had a dollar, you could honestly go 25, 25, 25, because no one knows. Airbnb announcing it will consider all stakeholders when it comes to corporate governance. It says not just investors. It plans to take into account guests. We were talking about this earlier. Hosts, communities, shareholders, and employees plans to actually uh, base its compensation on this. Um, I spoke exclusively with CEO Brian Chesky last night, and he told me I don't want to be one of those CEOs to say we're trying to do all this great stuff, but then we treat board meetings exactly like every other board meeting. They're actually planning on creating a special committee on the board just to do this and create a stakeholder day instead of a shareholder day. Um, but it's uh, obviously would include all of these other people. It's going to be this is what he says is the future of the way businesses are going to operate. Of course, this is a company that's going to likely go public later this year. It would be the biggest IPO of the year uh, when it happens. And interestingly, to some degree, you have to argue that that the traditional shareholder will be diminished. That, that's what I was going to say. I mean, it, it seems like it's going to be a three-ring He's, circus. He says, it, look, he says it's not, you know, we're trying not to trade one off against the other. But he said, look, the future of all these companies is to do this. This is somewhat what the Business Roundtable's talked about. It seems like he's trying to, he's not, they're not part of the Business Roundtable. Form, he's trying to do it in practice it. But I, in I, a very, very meaningfully sort of designed every, way. Does every one of those stakeholders have the same influence or is there a, a pecking order of the stakeholders? Is like how? I pushed him on that and I think that he was talking about, you know, we don't want to trade one off the other. I think invariably some are going to have to have more power than others. By the way, right now, regulators, I would argue, perhaps more than any other stakeholder in his company, probably are the most important. Doing this before the IPO, I can understand why he'd want to do that to fend off the regulators and to you know, tamp down criticism that's come through. But I don't know if he realizes how difficult it is to be a public company because of all the CEOs who have taken their companies private again, who have said, forget it, it's too much of a hassle. That's when they're just doing, dealing with shareholders. I mean, right. to suddenly say, I, I get having your employees at the table, that makes a lot of sense. But to suddenly say, people who have no affiliation with the company, I, right. I think they need to do a much better job of addressing those complaints. Right. But I don't know if you want them at the stakeholders meeting having an equal vote or and an that's equal say be the question. Do the hosts, the do the hosts who are customers and the customers who are customers of the hosts and, and the person who happens then, to live next door. And then the community. Which, by the way, they have some really good complaints. I see right. it all the time on Twitter. That's what they should do a better job of addressing. But do you want to bring them all into one meeting where this is happening? Look, just right. address the people that are calling your customer complaint lines. It's going to be very interesting uh, to watch. I imagine, by the way, they will have a direct listing as opposed to an, an IPO, you know, in terms of how you think this is going to happen, which will be an interesting thing. They have historically not needed additional cash to raise, so... He's a smart guy. He's a very, very smart guy. The question is sort of how this all works itself yeah. out. Next week, uh, we're going to be coming to you live from the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. It's a holiday shortened trading week. But we're going to start Tuesday at 5 a.m. Have I got that right? You got yeah. it right. How, who can do a four-hour show? Do people know that we're, also, that we're all wired up, right? And to get to 
a bathroom? A bathroom. You need to unwire, take off all the layers, go through a metal detector, and a take a check. brief you know, quiz on whether you're actually allowed to go in there. I mean, that's impossible. How are we going to be able to do that? Are you okay with this? Are you, I guess, it what depends. are you going to tell me? It depends. It depends. <laughs> that's gross. It's gross. Don't you have a big thing that's going to come up? I don't. I, I think so. Uh, is he going? That's because President Trump's expected to address uh, world leaders and CEOs on Tuesday. We'll bring you his speech live. He's supposed to be speeching, speaking from 5.30 to 6 on Tuesday morning. Okay. 5.30 to 6 a.m. East Coast time, which is 11.30 a.m. to noon Davos it, time. It's a That's squawk tradition. Sure I'm going to try to talk to him, if possible. That's a squawk tradition in, in Davos. He didn't go last year, I don't think, so we'll see. And we have a, uh, it's possible, we have a huge lineup of, uh, of other big people, including other presidents, but of corporations and, this, and CEOs, and dozens more. It's always a big deal. It's cold. We have to walk everywhere, but I think it might be worth it. It is know. a beautiful backdrop. It's a beautiful backdrop. It's a so cool place. And so many of the top leaders in business and in government who will be there. It's one time that we can go and have all of them Super together. Bowl. I get to see how the other half lives and thinks, and, and then I can put that in my, you know, just Social put it all. Yeah. <laughs> huh? Well, I mean, I'm there. I, I try not to you live like the other half. I, I what? You live like the other Which half? Them? them? The good half. The, oh, the undeplorable half? Is that actually what you're saying? No, um, I, I, we've talked about it a lot, the Davos Syndrome, very similar to Stockholm Syndrome. You can, my, I'm going to have a nickname. It's going to be Tanya, just like uh, Patty Hearst. From the, the, she actually turned into... Uh, you know, they captured her and the, then she, then she gets the started captors, carrying. Right. Yeah, exactly. I hope that, I always try to, to not let that happen over there, not be hit with too many. Just, huh? just remember the Jamie Dimon line about what Davos is really about. What? Billionaires telling millionaires what to think. That's, <laughs> I'm surprised that you would repeat that. Because, you know, in the past I've called you. Like, I know what you've called There's me. Neanderthal man. There's Cro-Magnon man. There's Davos man. Right? I'll take what I can get. <laughs> you, walk, you walk around over there, and it's like, oh my God, it's Andrew. Right? I mean, you, you, how many panels are you leading this year? Seriously, how many panels? I don't even know. Now seems like an appropriate time to promote our podcast content. Here on Squawk Pod, we will bring you the best of next week, the corporate Super Bowl highlights, plus some behind the scenes. Katie Kramer, your usual host, will be on site at our rooftop set in the Swiss Alps, navigating the cold, the snow, and whatever else to get our show on the air. While she's there, she'll be recording some podcast extras with the rest of our pro production team and with Joe, Becky, and Andrew. I'll be here, stateside, curating that content and delivering it right into your ears. Cheese will be next. Anyway, coming up next on today's Squawk Pod, the new owner on the block. Now, if... if- Matt Rule goes and the Carolina Panthers win a Super Bowl. David Tepper looks like the new guy that came on the block and showed the NFL owners, look, I'm the rich guy. I know how to do it. CNBC Sports business reporter Jabari Young weighs in on the newest and richest owner in the NFL. And that owner weighs in on the markets. He has had some incredible success with major calls that he's made along the way. And I would pay attention to what he has to say here, too. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow. 
today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Uh, David Tepper uh, bought the Carolina Panthers for more than $2 billion in 2018, which is pretty interesting because he's a huge Steeler fan. Um, yeah. Anyway, I guess... That's the way in. Look, it, all of these guys have their teams they love, but they also, these franchises don't come up very often. Right. Well, it looks like he's a Panthers fan now, for sure. Becoming the NFL's richest owner, he hasn't been shy about splashing the cash around. Uh, promising to build a uh, new world-class practice facility for the team. Just recently signed rookie uh, head coach Matt Rule to a $60 million contract. According to our own Jabari Young, the other NFL owners are not too happy about the spending uh, spree. Joining us now is uh, Jabari, joins us. He's a CNBC.com sports business reporter. I can see that. I can see how the coaches, uh, it raises the bar. Yeah. There's a lot of them. I mean, Belichick, he's 12, yeah. right? And, yeah. and, uh, around 11. Yeah, yeah the Seahawks. Yeah. Right? Sean Payton, Mike Tomlin around the 10 area. Gruden? What, what Gruden is about around 8, 10, you know, 10 mark because he's $100 million for 10 years. Yeah. $100 million for 10 years. I mean, that, that was phenomenal. But, you know, th- these coaches, I mean, these owners, um, none of them can block. None of them, <laughs> right? None of them can. Th- Everything they get, they, shouldn't they just be happy? They got these great, this great thing going on. They got these unbelievably profitable businesses. What are they whining about about this well, money? Well, this you, you know, if, listen, there's nothing that owners want more, if you're an owner of anything, than more money. And if I can win by paying so somebody less, so then, then, then that's fine. Then what's the problem? Why are they mad about this well, because, particular Well, because, listen, country? every last billionaire, when you look at the history of sports, when they come into an industry, they always try to make their mark. Remember when Dan Snyder bought the Redskins? Yeah. Came in, signed Deion Sanders, all that money, Bruce Smith, all of those guys, and Mark Cuban the same way, bought the Mavericks, came in, made a splash. I mean, one time he sent limousines right. to people's houses just so they can get to the, to the game safely because it was a night storm, and he just made his mark. He went around town promoting. They all tried to make their mark, right? David Stern fined the heck out of Mark Cuban because he was opening his mouth. He was the guy that was on camera talking all the time. David Tepper's trying to do it his way. Do they eventually all kind of tamp down where, okay, I've been doing this for a while, it's more business as usual? Or yeah. do some of them really stick around and have that same sort of level of enthusiasm the whole way through? Well, you know, I think they learned the business. You know, I think Mark Cuban was is phenomenal. He learned the business. He understood what he could or could not do. Remember, one of his first moves, he went and signed Dennis Rodman. He's 38, and he got kicked out of the league. Forgot right? About that. right, right. So he made it. He tried to make his mark. David Tepper's trying to do the same thing. Now, if, if Matt Rule goes and the Carolina Panthers win a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. David Tepper looks like the new guy that came on the block right. and showed the NFL owners, look, I'm the rich guy. I know how to do it. He says now, he, if Matt Rule loses, then he just looks like the guy it, who just came and bought a toy. He doesn't make as much as some of the other coaches, but he's never coached the game. He's never. And listen, all those That's coaches why. we talked about before, they got one thing in common. Yeah. They won Super Bowls. They are established NFL so he head comes coaches. In, but he says this guy's going to be here. Tepper says for 30 to 40 years. Well, you said he's a Steelers fan, right? So if he's going and building that team off of the the Art Rooney model and he's keeping coaches in place and letting him do that, that's fine. But we'll see if Matt Rule, we'll see if David Tepper, you know, folds under fire if Matt Rule doesn't get off to a good start for the first time. But you know what? I like the idea of being a long-term owner and making long-term decisions. That comes back to investing, right? If you are an owner who can look out and deal with the long term, you can make much better decisions than trying to do uh, earnings season to earnings season. Man, listen, I cover the Spurs for my, basically my career and you want to talk about somebody that puts emphasis on longevity yeah. it's them greg popovich one of the longest tenure the longest tenure head coach in professional 11 sports. million a year 
Not 11, 12, but I think Poppy lying sometimes about his money. I think, but now when, if you're Greg Popovich, and if I'm, if I'm any of the NFL head coach, if I'm Bill Belichick, and I see Matt Rule just came into the league without having winning one game, and he's making eight I'd to ten. I, I'm I'd looking at my owner like, hey, Mr. Kraft, hey, uh, it's time to bump me to, to, to the 20s. Right. This rookie can't be near me. I can't have this. I so, just, you know, it's an ego thing, too. I like the owners. I'm, you know, I'm not trying to take side bet, you know. Smallest, uh, yeah, smallest violin in the world. I, I, are there, I can, are there I can see that. I Imagine there, how I felt researching this story. They're talking millions and millions. I look at my check, I'm yeah. getting fractions right. of that. But are there profit margins at risk now because rule gets... It's, it's profit margins, but not in that way. No, it's profit margins for the head coaches. Look, they, you know, they get right. it. You want to win, you got to, you know, you want to you play, you got to pay. Yeah, yeah, but you got to pay for the right guy. You pay. We don't well, know if Matt Rule's the right guy. I wonder how he knows it's the right guy. Huh? Are any of these guys losing money doing that? Not anymore. Well, the NFL, not after the owners can look at it and say, listen, we had a precedent. We said, because these new rookie head coaches, they usually come in about four-year deals. Right. Cheap money. They got to prove themselves. What David Tepper did is went and got an inexperienced guy, and I like Matt Rule. He's a temple guy like me. I like the guy. But to give him that amount of money in that amount of years without having proven anything? Right. That's kind of, if I was an owner, I would be upset too because you're messing up the business. This is like Netflix. If I was Belichick, I'd be this upset. Is the, this, is what, this is what Netflix did to TV. Right. It's sort of just, you know, taking uh, new guys off the street. Right. What? Giving them, um, you know, full, full seasons off, you know, who, no pilot who do people want first. This, who do people want in the Super Bowl? I know who I want. What's best for TV? What's best for 49ers? 49ers versus 49ers and the Chiefs would be phenomenal because you have a young. It would be good for business. You have a young quarterback and Patrick Mahomes going up against one of your oldest teams in the NFL in the San Francisco 49ers. And by the way, the Kansas City fan base is—that's a good fan base down there. So you're winning all around. That would be good. It would be. Can't wait to go to Miami. All right, Jabari. Thank you. You can read uh, his full piece. On CNBC.com. Uh, bring a little more energy next time. I'll try, you, man. You know, I'm going to do it next time. <laughs> probably get up or something to yeah. work out. Coffee. Maybe go to the gym first. Yeah. Yeah. Or, something. All right. or, don't, or don't sleep like I do. <laughs> yeah. right. Thanks for coming. <laughs> so the conversation you just heard, David Tepper, the guy they were just talking about, he heard it too. And he was inspired to contact CNBC afterwards, specifically Joe, who, incidentally, was his neighbor before Tepper moved to Florida. He didn't have a ton to say on this NFL story, but Tepper did weigh in on the markets. And we should tell you the reason Tepper is rich enough to own the Carolina Panthers and be the richest NFL owner in general is because he's what Joe calls a hedge fund genius. There were years that he made over $1.5 billion, again, just in one year, as a manager of his fund, Appaloosa. Here's what he had to say to Joe about the markets during this morning's TV broadcast. It was serendipitous uh, that we were talking about the Carolina Panthers and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I said, what's your market? How are you feeling about it? And he basically quickly said, I love riding a horse that's running. I said, what the hell does that mean? Is that the Carolina Panthers you're talking about or the Steelers? And he goes, no, we've been long the market and continue that way. He said, we should put in a qualifier, though. At some point, the market will get to a level uh, where that I will slow down that horse uh, and eventually get off. Can he let us know when that happens? Yeah. I said, well, I said, do you have a level or some sign that would start indicating that to you? And he says that I'm going to be the first to know, me, Joe Kernan, uh, after his wife and his mom. And in that order. Right. Which, he, which references back to earlier that the Carolina Panthers, uh, that's the wife, and the Pittsburgh Steelers are, are the mother. So uh, I guess if, what, what do you take away from that? It's a moment. We've, we, we've had people say that. It's a momentum trade. Right. 
Kramer has said as much, I think. I mean, how do you... Ten years ago, he was so right. He was so right. When you get off, this is the hard part. And if I'm third, that might be early enough, uh, right? This is a very significant call. Um, Tepper doesn't come out and make calls like this very frequently. This seems to me like something that people should sit up and pay attention to. Uh, again, he's made a couple of calls. Remember, it was the Tepper tantrum yep. right. at sure. one point when he said to get out of things, too. Uh, it's almost impossible to time the market, but he has had some incredible success with major calls that he's made along the way, and I would pay attention to what he has to say here, too. Keep riding the horse. Later on in the broadcast, within an hour of those comments from David Tepper and less than 10 minutes before the scheduled end to Squawk Box programming... One of the other greatest hedge fund managers of all time piped up. That would be Stanley Druckenmiller. Duquesne Capital, his now-closed hedge fund, had a track record nearly unheard of on Wall Street. The 30% average annual return to investors is a legend in the industry. Tepper has been the subject of really positive comments from someone that may be the best ever in, in the business, Stan Druckenmiller. So I asked him um, about Tepper and, and his comments and... Stan doesn't like to opine lightly very often, and I appreciate that he did this today, but he said, of the current market, uh, I revealed a very bullish posture intermediate term in an interview on December 13th uh, since October when Powell guaranteed that he would uh, not rescind the insurance cuts unless inflation was persistently above target. In other words, would not change even if trade and Brexit worked out. Since then, both have worked out, and the Fed is still whining about inflation being below target. In addition, Trump's election prospects have increased with two trade agreements and a big win in Iran, which the Democrats have responded poorly to. So, in his words, I am still riding the horse as well and bullish intermediate term. All right, so Druckenmiller and Tepper are both following the momentum on this and think that up is where the market is headed at this point. In, in a nutshell, That's I think significant. you would... Yes. And, and uh, like I said, with Tepper's call, when you put in the, the qualifier that yeah, I could slow this horse down, well, that's uh, you know, they could be hours, days or weeks. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know how long. But probably important to say, too, that neither one of these two gentlemen woke up this morning thinking. No, neither one advising did. or advertising as what their position is. Right. You and, happen and, to be in conversation and, with them. And this is what you gleaned Stan from didn't those want to didn't want to. Do. I, I mean, I appreciate it. But he yeah. said, if you must. Here, here but that, but just to, for people who think, oh, they're manipulating us and they're going to tell this so they can sell, that was not the intent either of them woke up with. They just tell you what they actually think about the market. Right. Right. Exactly. And you know what? You, know, you have to worry about saying something on a global financial um, record. You know, and that's what sell side people were. These guys have so much skin in the game. They got much bigger problems about whether they, they say something on Somebody's CBC got, that right. doesn't, because they have, that's why the buy side is so much, you know, that's why even predictor. He's next. Next on Squawk Pod, internet entrepreneur Ev Williams on ESG investing and the attitudes of Silicon Valley employees toward the tech companies they work for. In Silicon Valley, for example, employees care a tremendous amount about this stuff. It's not just your customers, but if you want, you want talent. We'll be right back. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. 
That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Silicon Valley entrepreneurs often want to shake up industries, but Obvious Ventures wants to do more than that. The early stage venture fund founded in 2014 takes a long-term view and makes investments in companies that tackle some of the world's toughest challenges, such as climate change, healthcare, and education. Its portfolio includes Magic Leap, electric bus startup for Proterra, and notably Beyond Meat, which was the firm's first public exit. Joining us right now... Can I, we can just say he's one of the creators of the modern Internet. Ed Williams is here. Twitter, Andrew. of course. Medium. This is the guy. And then James Joaquin, co-founder of Obvious Ventures. Um, as we just said, Ev is the co-founder of Twitter, uh, CEO of Medium. What, what other fabulous things? What, what, uh, what, what was the original before the original that? Blogger. Blogger. That's what blogger. I was thinking. Sold to Google in 2003. Yes. So uh, we've got a lot of topics to talk to them about. Uh, but why don't we just start real, real briefly first with the fund and what you're trying to do with it. Well, today's a big day for us. We're announcing our third fund. We're entering our seventh year. And this is a major growth milestone for us. Our third fund is $271,828,182. And how did you choose that number? Well, those are the first nine digits of one of the most important constants in mathematics called Euler's number, universally known as E. Uh-huh. So we like to say E equals OV3 for us with this third fund. Do you have investors who said to themselves, like, were there more investors who either wanted to get in at a certain <laughs> number or this, and you said, we can't do it because we need it to actually for it to equal this certain number? Couldn't you have just done 420? You know, we're not a cannabis yeah. fund. We well, don't invest right, there. Right, but right. this is a tradition for us. Our first fund was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, your second one was a palindrome. Second one, one was nine, a nine-digit one palindrome. Nine. And we love to celebrate math and science. It's a lot of the cutting-edge technology we invest in. And so getting our third fund to E was a lot of work to get our LPs <laughs> to write the right number, right. but we did it. Um, this is the Einstein E, the E equals MC squared E? or It's named after Leonard Euler, a yeah. Swiss mathematician. Founder of the Houston Oilers? Or? No. no connection there. No, a little, okay. bit, little bit older. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you about uh, pri- one of the things we talk about a lot on the show is private valuations relative to public valuations in this marketplace right now. And what we've seen over, feels like the, a transition of at least the last year where there were these very high public or, or private valuations and then came down in the public markets and how you think that's changing the landscape or if it is at all? Well, I think we got it right with Beyond Meat. I right. mean, our, our private valuations were much lower than the public market valuation that we see with that company. That's been a fantastic return for us and a fantastic proof point of the work right. that we do. But to your question, I think Silicon Valley is increasing its focus on profitability. And we invest at the early stage, so we're not public markets experts, but we do focus on making sure that every investment we make, there's a thesis and a path to profitability. And we're seeing more investors focus on that. We're seeing some of the late stage companies start to do some layoffs to reduce their burn, to get closer to profitability. 
maybe that's in anticipation right. of how they're going to be valued in the public. Let markets. me ask you a, a Beyond Meat related question. It relates to the news uh, that Larry Fink has out in terms of refocusing his firm around climate and sustainability and issues like that. He says it's an economic decision, meaning he, 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 this is, he says it's not a political decision. It's not even, a, to some degree, even a science decision for him personally. It's he thinks that the world, as investors, millennials and others, are moving towards sustainable investing. Do you, I mean, obviously, that's part of the trend beyond, yeah. beyond me. 100%. How far do you think that goes? And how quickly do you think it happens? Well, I think it's happening right now and beyond as a proof point, as James said. But it goes back to our original thesis, which was we, we don't think of ourselves as impact investors. We think of ourselves as financial investors who are choosing things that are addressing major problems. Because if you figure out how to do that profitably, it's going to be a huge business. And so it's very in line with what Larry is saying. I think it's not just new generations' choices. It's necessity. And, and so what, what we've seen with Beyond and I, lots of other uh, portfolio companies, Diamond Foundry is about lower carbon, you know, diamonds. There's, there's all these kinds of things that people are choosing because they realize there's, there's a better way to solve these problems. But how much of that is a bet? For example, Apple, I'm thinking of a lot of the big, also I was going to say the big Silicon Valley companies that do have big balance sheets that are now moving in this direction in terms of some of the work that they're, that they're doing at cost to them, by the way. Because you see Apple, for example, now running, I think, all of their operations in the U.S. totally off of carbon neutral. Well, it's at cost to them, and, but there's a, there's a bigger equation there. I know in Silicon Valley, for example, employees care a tremendous amount about this stuff. So... It's not just your customers, but if you want, you want talent that, that feels like you're doing the right thing as a company, it becomes a real issue to not do that. And we think high-carbon companies are fragile, right? They're, they are at risk of a price on carbon fundamentally changing the economics of their business. If we can flip trillion-dollar industries to low-carbon, think about food, energy, transportation, resources. A lot of the companies in our portfolio have better economics. When Proterra sells the city of New York an electric bus, it costs less to operate than a diesel bus. So the numbers are just there. Uh, before we let you go, I, have, I just have a couple of social media questions for you. Okay, TikTok, what do you think? It's fun. It's fun? <laughs> Would you use it? Do you use it? I've, I've played with it. I okay. like to understand all, all the new things. It's not my genre. I haven't yet made a TikTok video. I don't think I can compete on Snap. that stage. Snap? I think, I think uh, Evan is one of the greatest product thinkers there is, and I'm sure they're going to come out with lots of more creative things. He's very nice and polite. Ev uh, and James, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks for having us. us. That's the show for today. Next week, the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. It's cold. We have to walk everywhere, but I think it might be worth it. The most influential minds in global business and politics will be in the Alps with us. And before that, Monday might be a market holiday, but Squawk Pod will be here with a very special interview from last year's Davos trip, a conversation with conservationist, ethologist, and overall wonderful human, Jane Goodall. It's very rare where I'm sort of starstruck, and I was genuinely starstruck by Jane Goodall. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good weekend. Mm-hmm.
are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.